When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. In this case, it's always United States national team in Qatar in Philadelphia. I'm happy to report, everybody, that my blood pressure has dropped significantly to the point where I feel as though I can now put together a composed podcast talking about uh, USA and Iran, uh, or Iran, sorry, USA and Iran, the game that we uh, witnessed uh, as of recording yesterday. Maybe you're listening to this uh, two days uh, past the final game of the group stage. Uh, and, and joining me on this journey for cardiatric normality is Richard McGovern returning to the program. <laughs> How are you, my man? I'm good. It's pronounced eliminated. <laughs> oh. I just put the one-year-old down. I'm like, I, I, I'm operating mostly on an empty gas tank here. I just, I, I, I tell, it's funny because I joke with my wife. When I, I when the gas tank is empty, I just kind of get like giddy. Mm-hmm. I think like everything's I, I, funny, you know. I hear that. But yeah, man, my uh, <laughs> uh, I, that nine minutes, 53 seconds took two years off my life. Like Karen and I are watching it in the living room over here and I'm just pacing back and forth, living room to kitchen, yeah. living room to kitchen. The only thing I can compare it to was that Flyers Bruin series in 2000. God, what was it? 2010. Yeah. When when uh, they went up in uh, game four. Oh. Gagne scores, and and the whole time I'm sitting on the couch, just oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> no, I'm I'm the same way, man. It's funny because, but I was like that at the beginning of the game, and um, you know, I'm like I'm working, I got the laptop set up, and then I kind of like put it down. I'm like, all right, the game's about to start, whatever. And um, you know, I I like I could not I could not sit still, um, so I had to get up, and it's funny because I have a, I have a TV in the basement, and I I built like a weight room. Uh, that extends off the other side of the steps in the basement. And I can't, I can't see the TV from the weight room. Uh, I was trying to get the elliptical to line up so I could exercise and watch TV at the same time. But anyway, so I went and pulled a bunch of free weights out of the weight room. I brought them over to the TV room and I just started lifting while I was watching the game. Cause I just had so much like nervous energy. I didn't know. Yeah, you had to do there. something. Yeah. Like I'm thinking back to 2010 uh, with Donovan against Slovenia. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't remember. I was at a bar, but I don't remember being that frantically worried. But that extra time, my no. God, I just, I, I, I thought I was going to die. It no, was, I didn't. USA, weird. Algeria didn't feel that way to me. USA, Slovenia didn't feel that way to me. Uh, the Brazil World Cup didn't feel that way. I don't. It's funny, man, because you know I've said this before to you and to other people, but I don't, I don't watch sports like that because yeah. after you know 15 years of being in the media, like you don't really have that reaction anymore but i think when i get to watch game, teams that i'm not really like I, that i don't cover mm-hmm. i can i can watch them as a fan you know west virginia football basketball united states men's national team you know i, I just like it was it was nerve-wracking but it was fun because it was like oh this is what it feels like to be a to be a mm-hmm. fan again you know but i just i i didn't 
I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way. Here's my like first actual question of the podcast, but like, I didn't feel, I never felt like they were going to lose that game. Um, I, or, or tie. Like I didn't feel like they weren't going to go through. Um, no, did you, I, did you at any point feel otherwise? Yeah, I, I absolutely felt, um, it almost scared me when they did, when they scored first. Like I'm more comfortable with them chasing the game, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But yeah, um, I, I was, I seriously thought Iran was going to score the karma, the storylines, everything else. I just thought, no, this is, this is just not our year. It's going to, you know, we didn't beat Wales. We didn't beat England. It's going to come back and bite us. Um, yeah, I was I was frantically worried. I really I, I did not have a good feeling about the match before it started, and it just continued and continued and continued. And I was hmm. I won't say shocked, but I was massively relieved when they. Uh, yeah, I don't. It, it's funny, man, because um, when they you won. know they get it, they. It's funny because I make fun of like the Eagles fans who are yelling to like cut some dude after every mistake, or like the Eagles are ten and one and we're bitching about like you know the the run defense or something like that. But after that game, I was just like incensed with like Haji Wright and the, and the way that they managed the last nine minutes. But when I go back and I have the benefit of hindsight now and I look at the game in totality, like they they played really well over the first probably like 60 minutes and, and their legs just kind of went and then Greg made the defensive subs and it's like all right I guess I'm not I, I, I don't know I can't be that mad about it because I'm not I'm not surprised about it like when you frame it in a way of knowing what Greg Berhalter is and what his limitations are I mean he set the team up really good in all three of these games and then it's like kind of like in the last 20 or 30 minutes like you know when they go to the subs or they go to the bench then you kind of feel feel a little queasy but um, it was a beautiful goal that they scored. I just, you know, I think the thing about that ball too with McKenney is he's letting it roll. Like he doesn't like mm-hmm. stop it and like, you know, set it up or line it up or anything. He just picks his head up and he hits that while it's rolling. That's like insanely hard to do. Um, and for Serginio to just kind of get on the back post just to make that run early and for Christian to to see that. It's almost like a Philadelphia Union going away, man. Like you, we talked this year about like Gosh Dog, like making, you know, Gosh Dog being in that Pulisic role and like, hey, I see this pass coming in. Now I'm going to start my run now. Yeah, no, it it was picture perfect. Yeah, it was a very, very similar goal in a lot of ways. But I mean, when you're talking about the defensive subs towards the end of the game, I mean, ultimately you have to make a philosophical choice, right? You're either going to defend by possession, or you're going to defend by you know just scrambling all over the place and you know clearing the crease, as they say. Um, I don't have a problem with him making the decision around the 80th minute. Look, we're going to bring in the extra uh, defenders, and we're just gonna we're going to bunker down. I have an issue with them bringing in Haji Wright over Jesus Faria, and I have an issue with them bringing in uh, Shaq Moore over Joe Scally. Yeah, I think both of those guys, especially Faria, I mean, you see when uh, Wright, uh, around the uh, eighth minute of stoppage, gets the ball, he's in space, and he goes mm-hmm. for the shot instead of going to the corner. Oh my he could have iced the game right there. <laughs> and ML- say what you want about an MLS player. An <laughs> MLS player, especially for FCD, knows how to ice a freaking game in the final uh, yeah, minute. Yeah, I, they should have conca-calfed the shit out of them. I mean, what are Absolutely. these guys being coached? I, I, I can't scream because the one kid just went down, but I just I was yeah. like, I I do a muff, I'll do a muffled reaction to, to Haji right, right now. What the hell are you doing? What the hell are you fucking doing? Just run into the corner. Run into the, run into the corner, or at least... Here's the thing. If you're going to be out there as a striker, like nobody's expecting you to, like you're just killing off the game. You got to lead, yeah. lead, right? You got to run, dude. Mm-hmm. He's like jogging around like it's a fucking stroll in the park 
on I Sunday have... afternoon. And I'm like, dude, this is the biggest game of your life. Like pre- pressure the defenders, like try to harass them, do anything you can to try to make it uncomfortable for them. Hold the ball up, give your teammates an, an outlet. He looked like he was just like a second half sub in like a one, one game in, in like June. You no, know, like no, he was playing with any kind of urgency at all. You know, I, I had a guy tell me today that Haji Wright just looks like he's not running because he's big and lanky. He's got a smooth motion. You know, like they used to say about Keon Daniel. Um, no, no, it, it, it's not that he's smooth and lanky. It's it's that you know he he's not running. Yeah, you can tell. You can you can very easily tell when somebody is kind of like languid and and like a strider. I didn't see why he was called in. I don't. I don't see why he was put in. Yeah. I, I, you know, a lot of people criticize. You know, a lot of people criticize Greg Berhalter. And now you go through the group stage. You don't give up a goal in the run of play. You know, and and you yeah. say it's hard to criticize Greg Berhalter. Yeah. I still believe this team with several other coaches would have been better. They're winning in spite of Greg Berhalter. I think. See, see, here's the thing. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that. You know, because it's like I. I. You know. You know. I'm a big, big believer in the idea that more than one thing can can be true. And I think Greg deserves credit for taking a young team that didn't go to the World Cup four years ago and getting getting them out of the group. You know, and having mm-hmm. them play well defensively and be organized. I do believe that. And at the same time, I believe that another coach could probably get more out of them. You know. You I can. Don't think, those ideas are not like mutually exclusive. You know. What I mean, I don't think that. The, the the percentage of us who are like who want more from Greg Burhalter, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're like that we were anti Greg or we're not we're not above giving him credit where credit is due, yeah. you know, because he's done a good job with this unit. I just feel like when the wor- next World Cup cycle comes around, like, I just feel like there's gonna be somebody who we're gonna be asking ourselves these questions, man. Like I just feel like somebody can squeeze just a little bit more. Just finding those like little marginal valuable things around the edges, like getting the right subs or like Figuring out what the Geo Reina. Geo Reina, you know, yeah, you know what I mean. Like that, like that, that stuff's important. And um, you I know, disagree, man. Larry Larry Brown can be a great coach, and Phil Jackson can be a great coach. Hmm. And they both they they both exist in different points of a team's lifespan. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, I, and I'm not a believer in holding over national team coaches for more than one cycle. Um, you know. Yogi Lowe is uh, is the outlier. Yogi yeah. Lowe is not the, the best example. Honestly, I'd, I'd love to see what Jim Curtin could do with this team. I really would. If he's going to yeah. leave the union, he is a tournament coach, and he's the sort of guy that can keep a team together, especially with the challenge the U.S. is going to face in the 26th mm-hmm. cycle, where they're not going to have qualifiers, where they're going to be going all over the world and trying to maintain a level and further integrate. I think Curtin could be a – you know, it could be a very strong hire for for this team. He's on my short list, man. It's a very short list. It only has two people. Him and Jesse, Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh and Jim Curtin. Uh, who else yeah. is even qualified, man? Well, like, the only uh, other way you go is you go out and you get uh you get a you get a foreigner get and a, get uh, another German. Yeah. Um, no, I, I the, they're on, those are the two on my list as well too. Yeah, and I think I, they're the only two I would go for. I just you know it's fine too because I don't I don't want to go like. Negadelphia. I mean, we're I think we're pretty pragmatic on this podcast, but like Christian Pulisic putting his body on the line, um, Weston McKenney playing as well as anybody in this tournament. Tyler Adams getting like pl- like international plaudits, man. That's one of my one of my favorite things, man. Is you know when I go on Twitter or whatever and I search like 
you know, Yunus Musa or something, right? I don't want to read the shit that like all the Americans are saying. Like, you know, men in blazers will show up at the top or something like that. I don't want to read what men in blazers writes about him because I already, I already know what they're going to say say about him. You know, so I, I search like for foreign, you know, yeah. correspondence and like, hey, what what does this guy in England think of of Tyler Adams or what does this guy in in Belgium think of Weston McKennie or because to me that's that's the real like unbiased like like view on all that stuff and to me man like Tyler Adams has been a friggin' superstar he absolutely has not just now the entire qualification cycle he was the rock of this team I can't believe he's only 23 23 at this point that's insane so he's gonna be 27 for the for the World Cup when it's here I mean that that core my my biggest takeaway man from from all this um, and I, I want to frame this by saying, like, I didn't expect a much of this team going into the World Cup. I've always had wor- had eyes for United States, Canada, Mexico in 2026. I know that sounds mm-hmm. stupid to say because it's only every four years. But no, you're 100. They're, so, they're, so, right. they're so young that I wasn't like, what, what what could really have been expected of them at this tournament for sure? And um, the core of Weston and Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa is insane. Mm-hmm. Like as long as you got that midfield trio in there, that's awesome. Um, you know, and Anthony Robinson and mm-hmm. Serginio Dest, you know, the center backs we figured figure out, of course. But like, and then Christian Pulisic, man. I mean, you got some like just amazing like core players for this team. There's just a lot. To, there's just a lot to look forward to. That's that's what I'm excited about. No, man, you are you are one thousand percent right. I do rate. I think four years from now, I do rate Scally over. Uh, I, yeah. I do rate Scally over Dest, but um, no, it's it, it's an incredible core. It's an incredibly young core. And and when you talk about Adams, the thing that I always look for when I'm looking at these rosters is where is the greatest drop-off between the starter and the backup? Yeah. When you look at every other position on the field, it's a cliff between Adams and Acosta. It yeah. is an absolute cliff. Yeah. If Adams were to go down, and we saw this during qualifying, if Adams were to go down, the drop-off between the two, the lack of quality, the lack of connection between the back line and the mm-hmm. attacking midfield, it just it's massive. Now, does that say more about Tyler Adams or Kellen Acosta? I think it has more to do with Tyler Adams is so far ahead. There are certain positions, as you well know, center it's really it's the spine. Center yeah. backs, goalkeeper, holding uh holding or defensive mid. Yeah. Where the development is a little bit later age-wise, yeah. and the sense of how the game moves around you, the sense of how the game is going to develop, it takes longer to learn that. Adams has that much younger than a lot of uh, players of similar skill level at his position. Um, so there may very well be you know, a, a younger guy in the U.S. system right now, but we talk about the lost generation. Who was supposed to be playing that spot? Will Trapp and Emerson Hinman, you yeah. know? Yeah. They never they never came on, but those are the guys you would have been expecting to start in that position. Well, and Michael Bradley kind of and, and Michael you know, Bradley going, yeah. going too maybe going too long and and them not turning over. I think the U.S. women's team has a little bit of problem with that too because they have these generational <laughs> amazing talents, and it's like when is Julie Ertz supposed to pass the pass the torch? Well, you know, they have. I feel the, like with I feel like with Michael Bradley a little bit, it was almost like, hey, we got to kind of be developing the the next the next guy yeah. here, you know. Maybe no, it's in a way, and I'm never going to say that the that, Kuva that was a good thing. I'm never going to say it. Yeah. But in a way, it compelled a move away from these sort of liminal talents of that generation yeah. towards these younger, more dynamic guys. And regardless of what the outcome was going to be, yeah, 
giving them the extra four years, you know, to, to develop, I think is going to pay huge dividends in 2016. It's, an, it's amazing to me to how just after Trinidad and Tobago or, and you know, how down everybody was on this national team. I could, in the Dave Sarakin years or whatever, I couldn't be fucking bothered to watch 10 seconds of this team. Mm-hmm. And then you like, you snap your fingers and it's like, Pulisic is at Chelsea. McKenney is at Juventus. We got dudes playing for frigging Barcelona and like Milan. And I'm like, what the hell happened here? I was like gobsmacked. Oh, yeah, Baxter's here. Here he is. Hey, bud. <laughs> he doesn't get many shout outs on the podcast. He used to be like a podcast superstar, right? Now he Baxter's kind of the best. Baxter's the best. Yeah, he's making a cameo here. I, I, um, I, I, I see your point, though. I 100% do. And that's where I give Burhalter a ton of credit. Yeah. Is that Burhalter, and, and this was part of the mandate U.S. soccer gave him, but Burhalter drew a clean line under Kuva and he said, we have four years to bring in an entirely new uh, group of players yeah. and make them into a team. And and that's what he did. And, uh, you know, I, I give him a ton of credit for that. I'm not a fan of his match day work. I'm not really a fan of his yeah. rosters. But he he had the courage to do that, and he probably had the backing to do that in a way that almost no U.S. coach has ever had. I have a comparison. I have a metaphor. Er an analogy metaphor. I don't know. I can, I'm it's too, I'm too tired to think of which one's the right one, but I have a comparison to make. Kellen Acosta is suburban food and Tyler Adams is Philadelphia food. That's um, that, that's not bad. That's it's not, bad. not, and it's not that suburban foods bad. Cause I think there's a lot of good food that's made out here. Um, I just think that like the food in Philadelphia is amazing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So hence, hence to your point about the drop off, where it's like, you know, it's almost like a chicken or egg kind of kind of thing in a weird way because it's like is the one guy just really really good or is the other guy shitty? Because Kellen Acosta is like pretty damn good by for MLS. Acosta won the gold yeah. cup against yeah, yeah. Mexico. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just, I, it's funny because I, I, you know, to my point, I was saying about like looking at foreign correspondence and reading what other people are. I go to like the Leeds Twitter page. I read all the comments mm-hmm. on Leeds, and they're all <laughs> their fans are like like dreading that they're he's going to get scooped up by like a you know, a top, a top four club or some, some shit, you know, and, and maybe he will at some point, you know, I mean, he's good enough to do it, but uh, yeah, I was just, I'm just, I've been impressed by him and just the midfield group and Weston just makes, you know, it's insane to me, man. I was just watching. I know the whales stink. We know the whales stinks now, but technically they're a European side. And like, I watched the first 45 minutes of that game. And I'm like, we are like dominating possession against it. Like a, a UEFA team. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is not the United States of like eight years ago where, we were under siege for 70 minutes and we got like, and we scored on like a set piece. No, one, no, one, it, one, it, one to nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, think about, think about this with, with a team that with an average, average age of 24. And if you knock Tim Ream off that team, it's probably 22 and mm-hmm. they should have beaten Wales and Wales was playing scared. Wales was bunkering and they went toe to toe with England and, but for a couple bounces could have won that game. Yeah, beat Iran yeah. the first time the U.S. has ever beaten an Asian team in uh, in the World Cup, and now they're yeah. going through and they're going to play Holland. I mean, that's insane. No, that it's that insane when you put it like that. It's crazy that yeah. I mean, when you when you when you um, zoom out and you look at and you look at like I'll use a Brett Brown term. He liked to use the term snapshot, right? When you when you take a snapshot of what the tournament has been so far, I mean, when you lay it out plainly like that, how can you not be impressed by? It? By what they've done, you know, especially when you put it up against the rest of CONCACAF, too. I mean, Canada looked great in the first game they lost. Then Herdman said they were going to go out and F Croatia, and then they got F'd instead, as Kamaric said. But 
I here's my only thing is that I don't to the point about things being mutually exclusive and more more than one thing can be true. As good as the U.S. was against England, I thought England was fucking terrible. They um, were. I had no idea what they were doing, to be quite honest. I mean, Greg set him up well, for flat 4-4-2. He's like, you're not going to pass the ball to, to Bellingham or Rice. Play through Shaw and Trippier, you know, and, and Trippier. And so they were like, they kept, what, what was the heat? How many times do you think Harry Maguire and John Stones passed the ball back and forth to each other? Like 700 times in that game? It like, was, you, it was, I kept expecting somebody like Wea to just run through and grab it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know, I know. And it was crazy because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like to me, the most obvious subs ever, like Phil Foden, because he can operate in the tight space and Trent Alexander-Arnold just let him bomb the flank and just put, put crosses in or something. So I was a little surprised by that because as good as I thought the U.S. was, as disciplined as they were, I thought England absolutely stunk up the friggin' joint. But, I, you know, whatever, you take a, a, the result any way you can get it. And, again, like you read the, the the British commentary after that, Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney, Christian, Christian Pulisic, you know, all that same kind of stuff, you know. Um, okay, so that brings us to your guys. Uh, this <laughs> is like a Richard I have McGovern, forsaken them. I have you know. forsaken them. So, so here's the thing, man. So I've known you for like more than 10 years and I've always known that you're a Netherlands dude, but I don't think I've ever been told why. You know, um, I'll, I'll actually tell you, I read a book and uh, it was recommended to me. It was by a guy named David Winner. And I, it's a book I recommend to everybody. Given it as gifts, I don't know how many times. It's called Brilliant Orange, The Neurotic Genius of Dutch Soccer. And there was just something in it. It describes the connection between the way the Dutch view the world, the geography, the art, the food, the music, and how it informed the development of total football. And there's just something about it that just clicked in my head. Um, you know, the way that some people read uh, Fever Pitch and they fell in love with Arsenal, yeah. the way some people watch, uh, you know, watch the Invincibles and, the, uh, you know, Thierry Henry and yeah. all them and fell in love with it. That was just what made me fall in love with it. There you go. And, um, you know, I, I've been an Ajax fan as long as I've been a soccer fan. I've always been the U.S., but I was an Ajax fan before the union existed. So, yeah, yeah. you know. Okay, so I've got three possible uh, running titles for this podcast. I haven't picked one yet. You're going to have to help me pick one. Um, number Option number one is Dutch Wonderland. <laughs> option number two is We All Hate Holland. And uh, option number three is Cruyff wasn't that good. I'm, not, I'm just gonna bite my tongue on that last. One. You, know, you don't have. Uh, you're you're, you're gonna sound a lot like the Dutch coach if you say that. <laughs> what are we uh, supposed to hate? I mean, it's easy to hate Iran because they're a, a maniacal, oppressive, theocratic, authoritarian regime that treats women like dog shit and murders their own people. So it's easy to not like them. I, of course, I feel bad for their players. So a quick, a quick A side here. Um, I, I I can you imagine the pressure that the Iran players oh, have God, on yeah. their I mean like you're like you're like Osmoon, right? And like you've said your shit on Instagram about like the protests and women or whatnot, and then like he's barely mouthing the national anthem because he knows that if he doesn't, like what the hell is gonna happen to him or his family? So like I, 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 I like you cannot put into any kind of words what those dudes must have been must have been feeling before that game, during that game, after that game. So I hope that you know, they all make it through this relatively unscathed. Bring put them on a plane here. Bring them in and do a dispersal draft and give them all MLS teams. Like, Abs- you know, abs- absolutely. Did you see that footage of uh, Anthony Robinson and the one Iranian player? He's just crying yeah. on Robinson's yeah. so- shoulder. That, yeah, that, it, it's it's absolutely breathtaking. And I I have nothing but. I mean, the Iranian players they played hard. Yeah, they played fair. You know, you can't blame them for their government. 
You can't blame no. them for, you know, for, for any of that. And to have the courage to say the things that the captain said, to have the courage to stand there in the first game and not sing the national anthem, yeah. and to still go out there and not buckle to that pressure, that that's amazing to me. Yeah, I, that's the shit that'll get me to buy somebody's jersey. I don't wear jerseys anymore, but I would buy like a Sardar Asmund jersey. Who's it play for? Like Leverkusen or something? I'll buy a Leverkusen mm-hmm. jersey. You can all rock that shit for real. You know, like cr- credit to those guys for. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine. Like, I, I don't I have no idea what that's like, and hopefully, never will. Um, but anyway, I, I would like what are so what are we supposed to hate the Netherlands for? Like tulips, like like good engineering, free New York. Care. What do you? <laughs> what um, if, well, we if all... it wasn't if it wasn't for the Dutch, Pennsylvania wouldn't exist. So there is that. <laughs> By the um, way, I just. That's funny because if I do, I, I keep seeing the the Pennsylvania Dutch joke, and but underneath every single Pennsylvania Dutch joke, it's like they're really well, that actually meant that they were German, you know. <laughs> no, um, uh, you know, there, there, there's not much other than Louis van Hall himself and maybe yeah. Nigel de Jong. There's not too much to hate about the Dutch. I, I hate to say it. Stroop no. waffles are delicious. Wind power is ahead of its time, and yeah. uh, you know they they uh, hated Spain before it was cool. So. There's know, not too I much should, to hate about. I should I should text Ernie and see how he's he's feeling. It's like the the Richard McGovern, Ernie Stewart, and Serginio Dest Super Bowl here. Um, <laughs> here's my uneducated take because I don't I don't I don't watch as much of the foreign game as I used to. Uh, my like my casual take on the Netherlands is like, yeah, they're damn good, but they're not the Netherlands of eight years ago or ten years ago. Is that an accurate take? That's 100% true. And in fact, um, you know, you think of the Netherlands, you think of total football, you think of the 4-3-3. These guys play, to make it easy for everybody, these guys play Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. They play a 3-5-2 attacking and a 5-3-2 defending. They're a very functional side with a couple of individually brilliant players. They have maybe two of the best center backs in the world in uh, Virgil van Dijk and Matthias de Ligt but you can't put both of them on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, they have uh, some very, very good uh, Champions League-level wingers. They have two Champions League-level uh, attackers, not true strikers, not true wingers, in Memphis Depay and Cody Gakpo. But they can be beaten, and this U.S. side actually lines up very well against them. The other thing to understand is that Louis van Gaal is now in his third run as Netherlands coach, he got brought in to replace uh, Komen when Komen went to uh, Barcelona. Yeah. He is entirely obsessed with finally winning a World Cup. Johan mm. Cruyff never did. Van Hal has always been the number two in the history of Dutch soccer. Yeah. And he is playing the most functional, dirty is not the right word, but the most functional, most basic defensive Dutch team he's ever put out there. Yeah, yeah. Because he just wants to win. He doesn't he does he's playing not to lose. And a US team can attack that and a US team can can really I think match up well here. Well listen, I think the good thing is that you know the United States midfield isn't gonna have to worry about Nigel De Jong coming with a flying kung fu kick to, <laughs> no. to take to take anybody's head off this time around. But um I don't I I, I think they've got like First of all, Louis, Louis Van Hall is what, like ninety years old at this point, right? He is like a like a dinosaur. Um, he's he's in his he's in his seventies, and uh, you know, and good luck to him. He's 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 suffering from. Uh, he's actually fighting right now uh, cancer. 
Oh no, I feel well. I feel like such a dickhead now for saying that. Maybe I'll no, no. Even they call him the Iron Tulip for a reason. You know, he's, the he's Iron not Tulip. A oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. I just but there's, a, some, there's something to me that feels like I, I don't like. I don't know him. Him coaching this team feels like a like a. I don't know. I'm trying to think. You remember when we brought Bruce Arena back in 2017? Yes. That's yes. what this is. That's what it that's feels. entirely what this is. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like he fits. It doesn't feel like the coach fits the players or vice versa. It's like it's like two different timelines or something. He doesn't, and he's cranky, and it gets in his yeah. way. Yeah. Um, I give you an example. the uh, The Netherlands goalkeepers right now are a 38 year old, 37 year old, and a career backup, uh, and two of them had before the World Cup less than eight caps between them. Is that what you were, that's what you were bitching about on Twitter? Because I didn't really get the the. Um... Jasper Sillison got uh, ducked out of a bunch of uh, ducked out of a bunch of qualifiers, yeah. because he got COVID, and uh, and uh, he got wound up on Van Hal's bad side, and so Jasper Sillison, one of the uh, probably the best Dutch goalkeeper of the last twenty years, yeah, is is sitting at home right now. Um, you know, is, is he's had similar issues with Memphis in the past. He's had similar issues. Uh, Matthias Delict almost walked out of the team um, mm-hmm. after uh, after the first game against Senegal because he started him on because uh, he started him on the wrong side and uh, played him out of position. Maybe yeah, he he looked he looked rough. Like I watched like, the first twenty minutes of that game, I was like, "Well, this is not this is not." Look no, right. it, that, yeah. that's exactly it. And he's he, you know so. He is very set in his ways, and he's not a good match for this team. But he was the best available coach at that point. He doesn't play. Does Delict play? They don't play a back three at, at Juve, do they? Uh, Delict is at Bayern now, and he plays. Uh, oh, like yes, you're right. Okay, right, right. Um, okay. Yeah, he Let doesn't. Me... He's never played. He's never played a back three. Even uh, that Ajax squad that made it to the Champions okay. League semifinals. He okay. was captain there. Yeah. Back four, back four, back four. It's always yeah. four, three, three is where he's excelled. Shows you how, yeah, how much I've been paying attention because he's at the wrong team. All right, let me just pause for a quick moment here for a Seinfeld clip. What do you mean? What is it? It's a country right next to Belgium. No, that's the Netherlands. Holland is the Netherlands. Then who are the Dutch? <laughs> See, I think that's a fair question. I, you know, it's like to me, like Americans don't understand the difference between the UK and England and Great Britain. And then you have Ireland, which is not part of it. So, what is the difference between the Netherlands and Holland? Um. All right. So, Netherlands and Belgium were all part of what we call the Spanish Low Countries. Okay. And um, anyway, they got split: Catholic on one side and Protestant on the other, and the Protestant side became the Netherlands, it's made up of states, just like just like the U.S. Huh. So if you were to call the Netherlands Holland, it would be like calling the whole United States California. Uh-huh. Okay, I see. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, and that's, and like Amsterdam's the biggest city, but the capital's the Hague, so it's a little bit like New York and D.C., you know, it's, yeah. it's that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. Um, what are we at? Like almost a half hour now. I think we're, we're we'll do like two more questions here. Um I'll give you fill in the blank. We'll end it on a on a pair of uh, matching fill in the blanks questions. Um, the Netherlands wins if blank. The Netherlands wins if 
the U.S. sits back and allows Frankie de Jong to establish a good rhythm passing and lets the uh, wingers run off of him. And I guess it's pretty obvious to answer this next one. The United States wins if blank. The United States wins if they press. They've yeah. got Brendan Aronson. They've got Gio Reyna. They've got Christian Pulisic. They've got Tyler Adams. They've got guys who have run the Gagan press. If you look at what Ecuador did, Ecuador limited the Netherlands to two shots. Mm. It's a record. No European team had been held to uh, less than three shots since 1966. Hold the ball up. Force them to compact their defense and bring their wingers in, and you can control their uh, you can control their attack and hold them in your attacking th- uh, third. Yeah. It's um, it, it's very simple. If you compress them, they can't break out. If they can't break out, they can't attack. Their defenders start getting in their own way. I think the Netherlands is beatable, man. I don't. That doesn't necessarily mean that the United States is going to do it. But Greg has had him set up well in these three games, and you know he's had the tactics right. You know, so I don't. I, I, my philosophy here is like it's not exactly the Philadelphia Phillies of 2022, where I felt like they were playing with house money. But in a way, whenever you're the United States and you reach the knockout rounds, you're sort of it is almost house money at that point because nobody in the world really expects you to be in the final eight, you know, or the final four or whatever. So I would love to see them if they're, if they're going to go out by playing their fucking game and trying to take it to them. The the one thing I don't want to do is see them sit back and turn this into Belgium in 2014, where, you know, Tim Howard looks like Neo from the matrix and has to like bail our asses out over and over and over. I don't want it to be that kind of game. I think that's conceding defeat. I think the, I think to me, the biggest takeaway from the United States in this entire world cup is that we're playing the same way as the good teams in the world. We're not like we're no longer are we like like technically and tactically inferior and just getting by on American resilience and hard work and and effort, you know, and then like nicking a set piece, right? Like that's that's I want everybody to hear this like loud and loud and clear. Like we're, we're not bad anymore. This is not 2002. This is not 2010. If the U.S. team that played Wales and that played England shows up against Holland, they have a a real, not just a puncher's chance, they have a real chance to win that game. They they genuinely do. This this Netherlands team is beatable. And the U.S., uh, you know, you look at the Ecuador game, this U.S. team has the potential to win and win playing their game. And, uh, you know, I, I can't give a stronger endorsement than that. Rick, man, I'll say this to end it. Like, we've got ballers on this team. Like, these guys are technically good. They're proficient. They play for the biggest teams in the world. This isn't like David versus Goliath anymore. You know, like, like we have dudes who are damn good, you know? And, and that's what's been pleasing to me more than anything seeing Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney and Serginio Dest and all these guys like show that like they, they belong and they can, they can play for the best teams in the best leagues in the world. And I, that's, that's just win, win, lose, draw penalty kicks, whatever bullshit happens, you know, crap red card or something like I, I would be, I would consider Saturday a success if they go out and just play the way that they've been playing up until this point, the style that they've been playing and say, this is, this is not, your grandmother's United States national team, you know? No, it, it's a hundred percent true. I'm going to tell you right now, I think the U S is going to win two to one. Wow. You heard it here first. I think it's one, one. I think it goes into extra time. And then as Carrie Underwood 
once said, Jesus will take the wheel uh, from there. Um, this is like your Super Bowl, man. I pray, I pray for your um, your blood pressure <laughs> Saturday. And I I pray for mine as well. I haven't smoked a cigarette. I've smoked four cigarettes, I think, in my entire life. But I was I was trying to. I was thinking of making it five after the Iran game. So hopefully we'll uh, keep Philip Morris away from me after after this one. But uh, <laughs> it's always a pleasure, man. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, you know who knows what the what the hell happened, you know. We'll yeah, and you know, winter gets Argentina, so that's not too bad, yeah? It's always soccer in Philadelphia. Remember, Cruyff wasn't that good. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs>